Well, good morning. Good morning and welcome to St. Peter's Free Church of Scotland. My name is Craig. I'm the minister in training here at the church. And let me offer you an especially warm welcome if you are here visiting us or are looking into the claims of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether that's you or whether you are a regular here, I encourage you to please do stick around for a cup of tea or coffee at the coffee bar at the back of the hall. Well, this morning, we are here to worship God. Let me read for us our call to worship from Micah chapter 4, which reads, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. Let's stand and sing two songs together. The first one reminds us of the greatness of God and yet his closeness to us. And the second one, Psalm 15, it's, it's a psalm which describes the perfect worship of God. It's a psalm that is first about the Lord Jesus, and we can sing it, cleansed by his blood, and follow him into the presence of God. Let's stand and sing our two songs, and remain standing as I pray in between them. Let's stand and sing. stand as we pray. Our Father in heaven, through your Son all things were made and all things are upheld. 
We thank you for this day of rest where we remember your rest in creation. But most of all, the eternal rest that we have in the Lord Jesus, knowing that he has truly accomplished our salvation in his life, death, and resurrection. And so as we are still before you, as we dwell upon being with us, all sorts of emotions come to us. Joy, elation, fear, and guilt. If we know that we do not deserve to know you, to be with you, and so we place all of our trust in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that his blood has washed us white as snow. And so now we can meet with you with full assurance and confidence. We can approach the throne of grace and there find mercy in our time of need. So may we know your presence amongst us this morning. May you speak to us. May your will be done in our lives to the glory of the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Let's remain standing as you sing Psalm 15 to the tune of Gruffenberg. Lord, who may stay within your tent, your sacred dwelling place, unto upon your holy hill, may live before your face. seated. Every Sunday morning we, we confess our sin together because we acknowledge that 
together we are, we are sinful people. We are guilty people. As a covenant people, as a royal priesthood, how can we come before a holy God? We must confess our sins and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. It says for the words on the screen behind me, we confess our sins together. O most great, most just and gracious God, you are of purer eyes than to behold iniquity, but you have promised mercy through Jesus Christ to all who repent and believe in him. Therefore, we confess that we are sinful by nature and that we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have neglected and abused your holy worship and your holy name. We have dealt unjustly and uncharitably with our neighbours. We have not sought first your kingdom and righteousness. We have not been content with our daily bread. You have revealed your wonderful love to us in Christ and offered us pardon and salvation in him. But we have turned away. We have run into temptation and the sin that we should have hated, we have committed. Have mercy upon us, most merciful Father. We confess you alone are our hope. Make us your children and give us the spirit of your Son, our only Saviour. Amen. Here are assurance of pardon from the Word of God, from Micah 7. Who is a God like you, who pardons sins and forgives the transgression on the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Amen. In our scripture readings here at St. Peter's, after the person does their reading, they say, this is the word of the Lord. And if you agree, we respond by saying, thanks be to God. In our New Testament reading, we are working our way through Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, his first letter to them. And this week we are in chapter 3, which is about Timothy's report to Paul and Paul's prayer for them. If you've got a church Bible, it's on page 1187, and one of our members, Chris McLean, will read that for us. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 3 can be found on page 1187 of the church Bibles. So when we could stand it no longer... We thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. 
He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lagging in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you may be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me run through our notices for us as a church family this morning. As always, there's more on the slides after the service and in our weekly email as well. If you don't receive that and would like to, please do speak to me after the service. Three things for us this morning. First off, if you have your summer prayer meeting uh, leaflet pinned up on your fridge, you'll know that this coming week our prayer meeting is back here at St. Peter's and we are delighted to have one of our mission partners, uh, Carolyn White, coming to speak to us about her work in a Muslim-majority com- uh, country. As always, we have tea and coffee from 7 o'clock through in Low Hall and the prayer meeting starting from 7.30, lasting for about an hour. Secondly, our church day out is just around the corner. Taking place on Saturday the 24th of August, as you can see, we are heading to the Maddox Centre in St. Meadows. As like last week, so date for your diary this week, and in the coming weeks, there'll be more information. 24th of August, our church day out. And finally, on Tuesday the 6th of August is the next meeting of the Kirk Session. Please do be praying for that, and also, if you'd like something discussed there at it, please do speak to uh, John Ferguson, who'll be at the door afterwards, or Alistair McLeod, our session clerk. Great, that's our notices for us this week. Right, boys and girls, let me address you for a moment. If you'd like to come down the front, feel free. Great. You might remember a few weeks ago, I mentioned that I grew up in the northeast of England, which is why I've got a bit of a funny accent. But around the corner from my house, we had a den. Who here has a den near their house? Any, anyone? Yes. I, love, I loved having a den growing up. Me and my mates, me, Stu, Tim, Garrick, we used to leave school and go to our den. And there's all these trees around this little bit of land and that was ours we went to play there went to hide there and the best thing about our den was there was this huge tree we called the big oak catch name isn't it there was the big oak tree and right beside the big oak there was a little drop so what we used to do was get our bikes and cycle along as fast as we could and then bump doof There'd be this little drop, and we'd drop off there. 
and there was a little bump beside the tree. Who knows what that might be coming from the tree? Yeah? Yeah, the roots from the tree. And this tree was, oh, maybe, maybe the tallest tree I've ever seen in my life. After all, it was the big oak. And for trees to tall, for trees to grow nice and tall, what do their roots have to do? Where do they go? Yeah, they go down deeper and deeper and deeper. And often you find the deeper the roots, it means the taller the tree will grow. We're looking through here at Paul's letter to the Colossians. And today we come to a passage where Paul says to the church, Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in Christ. And Paul says to the Colossians, I want you to be like a tree. I want you to dig deeper and deeper and deeper down into knowing who Jesus is. And that's the way you grow into being a big, tall Christian who knows and loves the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why every week in Sunday school, we learn about Jesus. That's why every Sunday here, our main service, we learn about Jesus. Because we don't move on from him. And we dig deeper into knowing more about Jesus. And that's how we grow as Christians. So I pray for that, pray that happens for us through in Sunday school and through here in the church. So let's put our hands together. Let's close our eyes, including you, Tabitha. I've seen you. And let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for the good news of the gospel where you died for our sins. Help us to want to grow as Christians, to know more about you. And may those roots of our Christian faith grow deeper down into you so we may grow as mature Christians who love you and follow you all of our days. May you make that happen today, Lord, we ask, and every day. And in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Head back and grab a seat. We're going to sing a new song for us as a congregation. Be strong and courageous based on... Joshua chapter 1. And what we're going to do is the band's going to sing through the verse first, and then after that, we're going to stand and join with them. And as we sing the song, we're going to take up our collection as well, where this money is used for the work of the gospel, both here and further afield. So let's stay seated for the first verse and stand uh, as they repeat it. Be strong and courageous. You must lead my people to this land Be strong and courageous For I hold you in the hollow of my hand I will keep all
please be seated. Unless, of course, you are uh, a child and you're off to Sunday school, I'd like to head through the door here. For those visiting, we have creche and a nursery class downstairs, and the primary school children are upstairs. We turn now to our Old Testament reading, and we are carrying on working our way through the Psalms, and this morning we are in Psalm 126, a community lament which recalls a previous time of God's mercy and asks for a fresh show of that mercy. If we're in Church Bible, we are on page 623, and one of our diaconal assistants, Kirstine, is going to read that for us. Psalm 26, page 623 of the Church Bibles. A Song of Ascents. When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Before we turn to look at our next section of Colossians, we're going to sing that psalm, Psalm 126, the tune of Brother James's heir, and Stephen will present for us. Let's stand and sing. When Zion's fortunes are restored, it was a
Please be seated. Well, today is uh, the last Sunday in our short three-week series looking at the beginning of Colossians. And let's remember, Paul, he's never been to the church in Colossae, but instead a man called Epaphras, he'd heard the gospel from Paul, he planted the church in Colossae, and while he loved Jesus. We've seen over the last few weeks that well, Paul's been reminding the Colossian church that he expects the Christians to grow. He prays that they may grow, that they may keep growing. And as we saw in the last uh, sermon two weeks ago, that growth comes when we learn more about what we already have in Jesus. But all was not well in Colossae, though, was it? There was some other teachers coming alongside them, teaching something else, teaching something like, yeah, Jesus is great. The gospel, that's, that's great, but that's how you start in the Christian life. You start with Jesus, but there's more to experience. There's a secret knowledge, greater spiritual things. And so these teachers coming in, they were undermining Epaphras, undermining Paul and the gospel they taught, and so snatching the people away from following Jesus. See, Paul warns the church that they are in danger of being taken captive. That's how serious things are. And so what does he do? Well, we see in this passage, he gives them kidnap training. He gives them training on staying safe, training on what to look out for. And so, that's what we're going to do this morning kidnap training with the Apostle Paul. Sounds exciting. I think it sounds exciting. Let's read it anyway. Colossians chapter 1 from verse 24. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me, to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this, so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how orderly you are, and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus our Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, Strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. 
Let me pray and ask God for his help. Heavenly Father, we bow in your presence. As many have prayed before us, and so we pray today, may your word be our rule. May your spirit be our teacher. May your greater glory be our supreme concern. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Paul gives us five sections, are we working here we go, in his kidnap training. Quite like alliteration, I think it's helpful for remembering things. So we're going to see in our passages the protection of gospel ministry, the practice of gospel ministry, the purpose of gospel ministry, the pattern of gospel ministry, and the plea of the gospel minister. So Paul is writing to the Colossian church. He begins his kidnap training with his introduction on the protection of gospel ministry, knowing the real Christ. I wonder if you noticed it as you read it. Look at verse 4 of chapter 2, why Paul gives us this training. I say this in order that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Plausible arguments. See, there are ministries that will enable us to rejoice in the sufficiency of Jesus. Ministers who who will help us that when you listen to them, you leave church and you say yes. Not because they are great, but because they've shown us that Jesus is great. There's also ministries as ministers who will will try to lead us away. People often disguise as being very religious, very pious. And see, we have, we have voices everywhere telling us about Jesus. This week, I reckon most of us will read something about Jesus, whether it's uh, a book, new books available at the bookstore, whether it's an article, a blog post. Some of us this week, I'm sure, will listen to something about Jesus, a sermon online, a, a podcast, perhaps one of those YouTube clips on Facebook. Who is it we're listening to? How do I know what's, what's helpful for me, what's not helpful for me? Who should we call as a new minister? Look again at 2.4. I tell you this, that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Look at verse 8 of chapter 2. See to it that no one takes you captive. Paul's serious here, isn't it? This is a serious warning. So how does Paul go on to train us in not being taken captive? Well, he trains us the same way people are trained in spotting counterfeit money. I wonder if you know how that happens. See, the people are taught, uh, they don't learn to spot counterfeit money by looking at the fakes. They study the genuine thing, genuine bills, until they master what they look like. So then when they know the real deal, 
when they get it, when they see it, they recognize it, then they're able to spot the fake ones. That's what Paul does for us this morning. He wants to show us the real deal so that we can spot the fake. See, when we're, we're looking for a new minister, we don't want a Robertson replica, a faux Ferguson. We don't want some perfect Piper ripoff. We want the real deal. Not just in what they teach, but also in how they labor. We want someone who will proclaim to us the supremacy of Christ, his sufficiency in salvation. We want someone who will help us leave church delighting in Jesus. We also want someone who will suffer like Christ and be strengthened by Christ. We want someone who will do all this and so protect us from being taken captive, from being deluded by fine-sounding arguments. So are you listening this morning? Are we ready to carry on Paul's kidnap training? Let's see how Paul gives us a picture of the real deal so we know how to spot a fake. Let's look at the practice of gospel ministry proclaiming Christ. Have a look at verse 25 of chapter 1. Paul, he's become the church's servant sent by God to present to you the word of God in all its fullness. Look down at verse 28. We proclaim him, we proclaim Jesus, admonishing that as warning and teaching everyone. So what's the basic work here Paul's describing? What's well, proclamation, isn't it? Presenting the word of God in its fullness, proclaiming Jesus. Paul expands on that, admonishing, guess that's the negative side, and teaching the positive side. See, Paul's main work was to communicate a message. Not to do miracles. Not to heal, not to say how much God has seemingly blessed him in material ways. Paul is to present Jesus. Proclaim Jesus. Proclaim the true message of the gospel that we've seen already. The true message that produces hope in heaven. That produces faith in Christ. Love for all the saints. The true message of the all-supreme Christ. Who is our sufficient saviour. Who died to save messed up sinners like you and me. I think you can imagine the people in Colossae reading this and these false teachers coming in and saying, classic Paul, isn't it? Just words again. He loves those words. Words upon words. Perhaps I've heard something similar today. People don't listen to preaching anymore. They want more. We need to offer people more. Yes, tell them about Jesus, I guess. But give them more than that. Poor old Paul and his pitiful words. What are they? Notice some of the buzzwords that we've been seeing the last few weeks coming through here. Presenting the word of God in all its fullness. What does that mean? I think proclaiming Christ in all its fullness, it means, it means not just repeating the gospel story. 
week after week after week, but taking the passage, wringing it dry to show all the wonders of Christ in that passage. It means making them clear, showing them beautifully. It means unfolding all that we can know about Jesus from his words, bringing it to bear on people's lives so that they may know the one who is the fullness of God and who fills all things. See, preaching Christ in all its, its fullness, it means no shortcut. No shortcut for ministers who are too busy to prepare, too lazy to be bothered. It means for us in our, in our Bible studies, our one-to-ones, the same things apply. And preaching Christ in all his fullness helps us from being tempted from other things. It means that we see the glory of Christ, so why would we want other things? It means that we won't be tempted by, why not have times when everyone can speak? Why not have six songs back to back with smooth chord trans- tra- transitions between them all? Why not spend more time on social justice issues? They're all good things, aren't they? We want to do music well, we want to care for people. But they're not the best thing. They're not the things that cause us to grow as Christians, to delight more in Jesus. Instead, we listen to the Bible being taught, like Mary at the feet of Jesus, choosing the best thing. Again, this isn't just for us here on a Sunday gathered together, but in our pastoral groups and our one to ones. In those words of people after the service. See, as we proclaim Jesus in all of these conversations, as we partake in our role in the Great Commission to teach people about Jesus, to help them obey him, this is what brings new life. This is what enables Christians to grow. This is never boring. Look at how this gospel is described. Look at verses 26, 27. Verse 2 of chapter 2, Paul describes it as a mystery. Don't think Scooby-Doo, who's that behind the mask sort of mystery, doesn't mean that. Rather, it's something that was undiscoverable by man. It needs revealed to be understood. And what was that mystery? Well, it's God's plan to save the world. To reconcile sinful people to himself. It's a mystery once hidden, now revealed. I think that's incredible. In our conversations, people, that's the very thing we're holding out to people. But there's more to this mystery, though. When I was reading this passage, it reminded me of twists in films. When you find out something that's been hidden, and all of a sudden everything makes sense. I was thinking, what's, what's the greatest twist in the film? The answer's this. If there's something else, you're wrong. This is the answer. Who was that black, soulless mask with seeming, with seeming unstoppable force and said those famous words, I am your father? See, grim, because you remember it. I reckon you can remember exactly where you were when you first found that out. Because it changes everything, doesn't it? How you watch those films, everything changes. 
Imagine sitting in Colossae. You've heard about the magnificent, supreme Christ. You've heard of his glorious gospel, how he is our sufficient saviour. And then you get to verse 27. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You mean that same, the one from verses 15 to 17? That that supreme one? He's in me. Yes. The supreme Jesus, our sufficient saviour. He's not bought our forgiveness. He's not left us alone while these people are trying to steal us away. But instead, he is close. He is the one who is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. He is the creator and sustainer of all things. He is the one in whom the fullness of God dwells. And if you are a Christian, this same God is in you. That is the wonder and the glory of the gospel we have. Christ with us. And it's brought to people, notice, not by anything secret, but by public proclamation. There's no secret Bible code. There's no secret way to connect with God. It's actually the preaching, the teaching of his word, here in our conversations with people. And just look again at the end of verse 27 as to what this means. Christ in you, present privilege, now. The hope of glory, future confidence, even better. Is it any wonder then this is described as glorious riches? Because there is no greater treasure than having Christ. You may be the poorest person you know, but if you have Christ, you are the richest person alive. And notice this, it's not for a few elites, it's not for the super spiritual Christians, it's not even just for the Jews. Look at verse 28, it's for all believers. So what does that mean then? It means that because we are united to Christ, he and us, our future is certain, our future is secure. It means that we will stand before him face to face and live for him. And with him and know him and see him. It means that you aren't alone. It means that there's always hope amongst the darkness. Because Christ lives in you. This is the power of gospel proclamation. This is why we we meet together. This is why we share the gospel with our friends. This is why when we, or rather as we look for new minister, this is who we want them to proclaim. Not themselves, but Jesus. To preach Christ in his fullness where nothing is hidden back. So we may know the one in whom all treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden. This is the practice of gospel ministry proclaiming the price. 
What's its purpose, though, as Paul goes on? It's to be mature in Christ. Most of you know, I used to work for a charity called UCCF, working with Christian unions in CUs in Dundee. And sometimes people might say to me, isn't a CU, isn't just, just church done badly, if you're honest? Well, to answer, I think, what's, what's the purpose of a CU? Well, CU's mission statements are usually something like, we exist to provide an opportunity for every student on campus to hear and respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. Isn't that brilliant? Isn't that a great mission statement? But it's about one thing. Evangelism. Sharing the gospel on campus. It's their sole aim. Because the church is a lifelong place of Christian discipleship. Look at Paul's purpose for the gospel minister of a local church. Look at verse 28. We proclaim Christ, admonishing him and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect. I think a better word is present everyone mature in Christ. I think Paul, he's really got these, these false teachers in the crosshairs here. He's saying the gospel of Jesus is all you need, not just once, but every day to mature as a Christian. Yes, Paul wants people to be saved. That's the amazing thing when people are saved. If he wants them to grow, he wants them to mature. See, is, is growth as a Christian, maturity as a Christian, is that, is that a serious concern for you? We see it's of utmost concern for Paul. He, he suffers for it. But how does this growth happen, though? How do we, how do we know if we're, if we're maturing? Maybe we need some, some helpful rules. How to dress. What to wear. When to pray. Maybe we need some, some mystical experience, and then we'll know we're really growing. Some sort of vivid dream. Maybe we need to know God through, through music. When that happens, well, then we know we're maturing. They all seem impressive. They seem effective. Rules, well, they're a handy gauge, aren't they? You know where you stand against a rule. Experience, that's my experience. Who are you to say that I'm wrong? Instead, in verse 28, Paul says, we must be pointed to Jesus in the scriptures. Because the work of God is done by the word of God. The word of God is sufficient for the work he wants to do amongst us. You don't need some special technique. We open up our Bibles. We read it. And the Spirit makes us more like Christ as we hear his word. It means we listen actively. We don't just, perhaps this is just me, confession time. Sometimes you come to church, the sermon starts, and you just sit there. Next thing you know, it's over. You've been sat passively. It means you come and we deliberately listen. So how do I know if I'm growing in maturity? This is Paul's concern, should be our concern. How do I know? You look older? Well, that's not what Paul means, is it? I wonder how many of us have said or thought, grow up, stop acting like children. What do we mean by that? 
cut out. Stop bickering. Stop fighting. In other words, be mature. See, Paul's goal is maturity. And for the Colossians, what that looks like for them is being united in love. This is what will keep them safe. Paul says at the start of chapter 2, have a look. Chapter 2, verse 2. He says that his goal, his purpose, is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. What's Paul getting at here? Church splits are horrible, aren't they? I know many of us have lived through something like that. A new teaching perhaps comes in. And what's the result? Well, it's, it's a breach of unity. Some of you might look back to the Toronto blessing, the Florida outpouring. Some of you may know more recently someone saying the Lord is doing a new thing, a new teaching contrary to his word. A new teaching comes in and it splits, causes disunity. Paul is concerned that they stay united in love. Speaking to a friend about what maturity is, and they had this helpful definition, I think. Maturity looks like having a wisdom to know how to handle difficult things. Notice how Paul phrases this here, that this, this unity of love, it leads to, it's, it's related to truth. That the people in Colossae are there to be of one heart, leading to one mind. Knowing that all they need to love and grow as a Christian, all the treasure of wisdom and knowledge are found in Christ. That's what maturity looks like for them. Being of one heart, and so being of one mind. So let's pause there. Let's just think about what we've seen so far in Paul's kidnap training. Paul wants the Colossians to be safe. He doesn't want them to be deluded, to be taken captive. He wants them to spot the real deal. And here he's teaching them the real deal to know how to spot a fake. We've seen that knowing the real deal happens by proclaiming Christ, which enables them to mature. And this maturity, it's a communal thing. It unites them together. This is why Paul is doing what he's doing. But this isn't all there is in this kidnap training. See, there's, there's things that you can learn by listening to someone online. I've benefited hugely, massively, from listening to sermons online. But someone may, they may talk the talk, but can they walk the walk? See, we see also in this passage the pattern of gospel ministry, suffering like Christ and being strengthened by Christ. Here's lunchtime discussion for you. What Christians have most helped you? What Christians in your life have, have most helped you? I, I wonder who you might say. Just thinking of myself, I think when I was, came here as a student, 
Guys like John Piper, he was so helpful for me. Some might say somebody like Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, John Calvin, Martin Luther. See, I hope high up on that list, though, are people that you personally know. Look at verse 24 of chapter 1. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. What's all that about? Let's think what it doesn't mean. Christ's Christ's death is full. It's sufficient. Remember those words from the cross. It is finished. He meant it. So what is lacking then? In Christ's afflictions. It's a personal presentation of that suffering. More than that, I think what we see here, there's there's a connection between Paul's suffering and Christ's affliction. What I think this means then is that God expects the gospel minister to experience some of the suffering Christ experienced when we offer people the Christ of the cross. As one preacher puts it, the suffering love of Christ for sinners is seen in the suffering love of his people for sinners. Paul says here, I will fill up what is lacking. I will take the whips, the lashings. I'll take the moaning, the mockery. I will take the hit so that I can present Christ to you in all his glory. And Paul's not buttering himself up here. He's showing what authentic ministry looks like. This isn't pastorpaul.tv. It's not the visions that that I've had. It's not a list of rules. If you just obey this, you'll be a great Christian. Rather... It's I will suffer like Christ and as I speak about him and you see me suffer, may you see Christ's love for you. The pattern is suffering. Look at 129. This end I labor, struggling. See, everything Paul does, it's, it's about Jesus. I think the end of verse 1 of chapter 2 is amazing. And for all who have not met me personally, Paul works hard. Works hard for people who've never even met before. Sometimes you struggle to work hard for people we have met. Paul works hard for people who've never met so that they may know Jesus. But notice the end of verse 29. Paul labors, he works hard. With all his might, because it's strengthened by Christ, relying on Jesus, prayerfully trusting Jesus. And what does that look like in the day to day? The theologian Jonathan Edwards, he is a helpful saying who says, The preacher places the word of God before the congregation in its true colors. Not sure how smart they are, 
but to help people to see what's in front of them. I think certain marks of a good sermon, one of which is you leave going. Of course that's what the text says. You read it and you go, the text can't mean anything else but that. And getting to that point, it's hard. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, praying is hard, preparing is hard, speaking is hard, listening is hard, processing it, it's hard. So where do we go for help? Where is the gospel minister? Where does the listener? Where do we go for help? We go to Christ for help. There's no quick fix. Ministers aren't wise Jedi masters. They're servants. They are slaves who slave under the church, seeking to present Jesus in his glory. These are not the kind of guys who are gurus with all sorts of wisdom. They are slaves laboring on their knees to present Jesus every week. So by the Spirit of God, we may read passages like verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. And we go, wow. So what does that mean? It means that we need to know who stands here. We need to know who to listen to. So let's recap our kidnap training. How do you know you're listening to the real deal? If you're feeling flat, you hear about the supremacy of Jesus and it just does nothing. This is the type of person you need to keep listening to. If you feel you've been taken captive by, by false teaching, or, you, or you've watched some stuff, I, you're not quite sure how helpful it was, this is the sort of thing you need to look out for. What does Christ-centered ministry, Christ-centered minister look like? What kind of teaching will fill my needs for more of Jesus that is right and true? What kind of teaching will help me see the sufficiency of Jesus when it feels like he isn't enough? Teaching that is exemplified by somebody like Paul. Presenting the gospel in all its fullness so that we may be mature. Suffering for the church, strengthened by Christ so that we may not be taken captive. And so it's as if Paul has laid out for us how great Christ is. He has shown us the type of person like Epaphras we need to follow, somebody who does ministry like him. And so he closes his kidnap training binder and he ends with his final words of his session. He ends with his final plea. After all that we've seen, if you've fallen asleep, Now's the time to wake up. If you can't remember anything from the last three weeks, remember these verses. Have a look at chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. 
So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith that you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Paul says, stick with Jesus. Be built up by digging deeper, mining the depths of the eternal riches and glory of Christ. It says, listen to Jesus proclaimed and become ever more established in the faith. And as that happens, watch thankfulness abound as you are. Eyes are taken away from yourself and instead you gaze at Christ. See, Christ is the object of our faith. He is the strength of our faith. He is the sustainer of our faith. He is the goal of our faith. He is everything. He is supreme. And he is in you. So at the end of these three weeks, stick with Jesus. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we marvel when we read passages like last week and see how awesome you are and then our jaws drop where we read to you the supreme Christ is in us, the hope of glory. Thank you for our union with you that wherever you are there, we are also. And so we can have certainty assurance that when we die, when our eyes close, they will open and we will see you and be with you. Lord Jesus, help us to be to be on guard, to not be taken in. Protect us, we ask, to stick with you, to think about the type of people that we are listening to, the type of things that we are feeding ourselves with, Lord Jesus, we cry that we want to stick with you. And yet, prone to wander, Lord, we feel it. Prone to leave the God we love. Take our hearts, Lord, take and seal them. Seal them for your courts above. So as we follow you, at times by the strength of our fingertips, may we trust in you working in us in our labors as we seek to tell loved ones about Jesus and it's so discouraging. May you be our strength. As we labor in our Bible studies, grant us your wisdom. May you be our strength. Lord Jesus, for any work that you do through this church, may we acknowledge that is you working in us and through us. Not for our praise, but for your glory, Lord Jesus. Your fame, your renown, that is our desire. So it's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. We're going to stand and sing our last song together. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. For my life is wholly bound to his. Oh, how strange and divine.
I can sing, all is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Let's stand and sing, and then remain standing for our benediction.
Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and obey him, to the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen.